HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this journey through culinary history. Today, we're going to talk about peanuts. Peanuts, which really aren't even nuts, but legumes, were a cultivated crop by indigenous peoples of South America for over 2,000 years. Spanish and Portuguese traders brought them with them to Mexico and Africa and Europe. But it wasn't until the early 1700s that the peanut came to America with the slave trade. And Virginia is believed to have been one of the first colonies to plant and harvest the peanut. The rest, as they say, is history. From growing and harvesting and processing what has come to be one of America's favorite snacks and an important culinary ingredient. And as good as they are, they all are not equal. The Virginia peanut is in fact a distinct variety, which we'll learn more about. Virginia is home to many well-known peanut companies like Planters Peanuts, Belmont, Whitley's, and the one that we're going to be talking about today, Hubs Peanuts from the Hubbard Peanut Company, the country's oldest specialty peanut brand. And we're going to be talking with uh, Marshall Rabel from the Hubbard Peanut Company, along with a fourth-generation peanut farmer, Elisha Barnes, who's working to preserve the historic harvesting and drying technique known as shocking. Hubbard's has partnered with Elisha for a special gourmet single origin variety. The Hubbard Peanut Company has been a female and family-owned company for nearly 70 years, and we'll hear more about that in just a moment as I talk with Marshall Rabel, the sales and marketing director of Hubbard's and a third-generation peanut pro as he says. (laughs) Welcome, Marshall, um, and thank you for joining me. Thank you, Linda. That was quite an introduction and an incredible history that you gave us. (laughs) Well, brief. Brief, as I said. It would be brief, and and you can expand on that because, um, Marshall, first, 
tell us about this um, this company that your family has has run for a while. Sure. Well, um, my grandparents started Hubbard Peanut Company back in 1954 um, from their home here in Sedley, Virginia, which is a small village in Southampton County. I'm actually sitting um, in my office, which is next door to my to my mother's um, office, which was her childhood bedroom. And so um, we really are this old homegrown uh, business here in the county. Um, my grandmother was a school teacher, and my grand great-grandfather had a little peanut farm. And so she started picking peanuts out of his farm, uh, the largest ones that she could find, and had a unique way of cooking them. Um, and that's, that's been coined blister-fried cooking. And so she would, she would pick the largest ones that she could find and work with a lot of ladies around Sedley to help, help her skin them. She would soak them in water, then fry them in oil and give them away um, as gifts to some of her friends from college and folks around town. And um, then, then my grandfather and, and Dot and H.J., they started talking a little bit and thought that they had an opportunity to, to sell these things because um, in, their, in their minds, um, the peanuts were twice as big. They were twice as good, and they should command twice the price. So um, H.J. started taking peanuts around to the hardware stores and the pharmacies around town and, and trying to sell Hubs peanuts for a dime next to the nickel bag of planters because, like I said, he, he thought they were twice as big, twice as good, and had <laughs> twice the price. So um, that's kind of how the, the specialty peanut industry was born. But um, a lot has obviously changed over the years, but that's that's how we got our start. And we've we've primarily been um, kind of a direct to consumer brand since then, but we do have some some small um, wholesale partnerships as well around the country. So the company continued in the female side of your family on down, right? It, it did. So my, my grandparents had had four children. Three of them were daughters, um, and, and and one son. And all of them, at some point, worked in the business for sure. But my mother has been uh, leading the company. Um, she came to work in the late seventies, so she's she's pushing forty years as well. And of our ownership group, um, it, it consists there's seven of us, and and five of them are are women. And a lot of the ladies in the office. I mean, it's a family owned but also very much a, a female-led organization um, in, in many departments mm. as well. Mm. Interesting. And not too many of those around. Um, I know that Virginia, I mean, you say your peanuts were twice as big and uh, you thought, or your, or your grandfather thought. Um, but tell me about this, the fact that the Virginia peanut being a distinct variety. I know there are only a, a few actual distinct varieties of peanuts, Sure. Can you, can you tell me about that? Yeah, well, there are four major types of peanuts. You have the Virginia type, the Spanish, the runner, and the Valencia. And what grows so well here in the sandy soils of Virginia is that Virginia type peanut. And all of the Virginia type peanuts are bigger kernels than the runners or the Valencia or Spanish. But one of the things that made hubs a little more unique was that we were only using um, the super extra large type. So before Dot Hubbard, there was not a grade called super extra large. So she would go to the shellers and would ask 
to get whatever did not go through the screens. And so she was literally taking the biggest peanuts that wouldn't fit through the screens. And that created this category of super extra large. So hmm. planters was a Virginia type peanut, but what, but we were using is still only the top 1% all grown Virginia, North Carolina and South Carolina, which is the primary um, variety that has grown uh, in this region, which is what we call the VC region, the Virginia, North Carolina and South Carolina. Well, now you and Sedley is located in in that western tidewater region, correct? Yes, yes. We're about forty five minutes west of Norfolk, an hour south of of Richmond, just on the Carolina border. Um, it's actually the the Albemarle watershed, and so what's grown here in in uh, southeastern Virginia, northeast North Carolina is is, is prime peanut country. Hmm. Interesting. Now I know that um, having taken road trips and driven down that way and into the Carolinas. I mean, you know, you know, you're down in peanut company when the roadside gas stations advertise hot peanuts, hot boiled peanuts, um, which is something, you know, that's totally u- unique to that area. And we don't find that up east, out east here where I am in the Northeast. Um, your grandmother, you said, was she had a special cooking technique. Can you describe what that technique was that she felt that everyone felt made it so special. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just kind of an old country way of preserving vegetables. When we, we, you would water blanch beans before you freeze them for the winter, and and so what she did that was unique was just blanch them in hot water, which basically just means soaking them in hot water, and then she would fry them in oil as opposed to um, a dry roast, which is what Planters is famous for, basically cooking them in large ovens. So what what Dot would do is would soak them in the hot water, which really gives them a nice. It seals the membrane brain in. And then when you fry them, it gives them that special crunch and texture that has become pretty famous um, for, for our state throughout the country. That's, it's kind of, it's what we've done to elevate the peanut game, so to speak. But um, that's, that's the unique technique, which is not, it's not too complicated at all, but it was in the fifties. Um, it was kind of a common way of doing things around here. So she was the first to commercialize that process hmm. um, and, and kind of put it on the map. As it was said, and it all started with Hubs, the birth of the gourmet <laughs> peanut. So, at the fact that you um, have specialty peanuts and, and that you are the oldest um, specialty peanut, are you referring to the size of the peanut or the different types of preparing them and, and packaging them? Those are the two things. It's the size, um, the quality that we're that we're sourcing from farmers, mm-hmm. and, and the cook process. Now there are a number of companies you mentioned a couple of them earlier that have kind of followed suit and 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 done that themselves. Um, but she is credited. The American Peanut Council actually gave her an award posthumously for creating the the gourmet peanut category. Um, so she received a lifetime achievement award f- for that. And that's and it really was just by selecting and creating this category of super extra large Virginia type peanuts, and then the blister fried cooking technique that, that she is credited with pioneering on a commercial scale. Hmm. Excellent. Interesting. Well, I know that you, um, you have said that you're really um, trying to, you know, find new ways to tie different gourmet products and the peanuts to Virginia's history. And um, one of the newer gourmet offerings that you have that we are here to talk about is your single origin peanut or the single origin peanut. Um, tell me what is about that one. 
Sure. The single origin peanut is, I absolutely love this story and this partnership that we've created with Elisha. Um, for me, it, it, this idea um, kind of started around 2008. I used to, to take students on study abroad trips around the world, and I was at a coffee plantation, shamba, a small coffee shamba in Uganda, and they also were growing peanuts. And I started thinking about, well, you have single origin chocolate, you have single origin um, coffees, and that's become a really popular thing. And I started looking at this, um, something that we could do with a farmer in Uganda. And obviously, it, that, that never materialized, but I've got that, I've got his uh, peanut sitting on my desk. Huh. And and um, so it, it had been an idea in my mind for a number of years. And then when this PBS story came out with Elisha, I knew that he was back in town um, and that he was still shocking peanuts. And then just good fortune has it like timing. He, he happened to walk in to <laughs> our office one day and said, hey, I've got I've got some peanuts. Are y'all interested? And I just lit up because I, I've been wanting to, to connect with him. We had just, you know, obviously I, I hadn't been back, um, but for so long um, and we had an expansion project going on. So the fact that he just happened to walk in was, was perfect timing. And um, what the single origin peanut is, is we're buying all of the peanuts that Elisha is farming, and he is still shocking them the old-fashioned way. Well, so we're, we're going to hear about that. We're sure. going to learn all about it. But basically, they are sun-cured on the shocks, on the poles, as opposed to um, quickly dried in trailers, which is kind of how it, it's it's become um, commercialized. And, and he is still preserving history and culture. Um, and it does give the peanuts a, a different, a sweeter flavor. And it, it's really just a, a nice um, project and cultural and historical preservation, really. And um, and we just love that Elisha spends as much time playing in the dirt as he does to, to make this thing a reality because it's been a lot of fun um, and, and a great project for, for both of us, I think, to, to be a part of. Well, we can hear Elisha laughing and acknowledging it in the background. So I want to get to him and ask him a couple of questions. Elijah Barnes is, as I said in the intro, a fourth-generation peanut farmer, and the only known farmer to actively shock peanuts still. A technique he refers to as antiquated, since no one else does it, and few, few people even know about it. And it's so special that PBS made a documentary about it, as we referred to. And you became known as the peanut man, Elijah. <laughs> Hi, welcome. Tell us, what, what is this shocking that we're all talking about? Oh, my goodness. Shocking is for for me, it goes back It's a part of life because at the turn of the century, all peanuts curing process was the same way. Uh, the landscape in Southampton County at that time and surrounding counties at that time uh, had these shocks. Some places called them stacking, but in Southampton County, it's known as shocking. It is a process by which the peanuts were dug. At the turn of the century, they were dug by a mule and pitchfork or hand to shake the dirt out. And then they were placed on poles in the field. Hmm. They remained there for six weeks through the drying process. And then they're uh, picked with old, what is now antiquated equipment, 
of which I happen to have a couple of those that I, I still use. But uh, it makes such a wonderful quality peanut. And, and I give people this as a comparison. Anyone that likes raisins, to get raisins, you don't throw them in the oven, turn it on to 400 and, and cook down raisins. Mm-hmm. It's a slow process. And I, I wondered about it until my nephew told me, he said, well, it allows the um, molecules of the peanut to organize in a specific way that creates a different flavor. Huh. Well, that seems to make a lot of sense. So you did that with the peanuts by going back to the technique. Now, had you known about the shocking technique before you actually started drawing? Them? Oh, yes. I, I was born and raised doing this. I, my father, his father, his father. You know, fourth generation, uh, mm-hmm. my great-grandfather's name was Ab Barnes, and then there was Langston Barnes, and then Lewis Barnes, and then I'm continuing on Elijah Barnes. And it is a process that it is not just the process of what you're doing. It is a passion uh, of, of what you do. It is a procedure that, that if you don't do it right, and I know that sounds kind of peculiar, but if you don't do it correctly— what will happen, you will get water inside of the shop that will stain and degrade the quality of the peanuts. So it is a, a, a method to this madness that creates the single origin, origin peanut. And I, I am very, very dutiful to remember how my dad and, though, and his dad and his dad taught us how to uh, shock these peanuts, how to stack it off, make sure that the water would drain to the outside so that you you would have a beautiful, uh, not only inside kernel, but the hull itself. Well, I have seen the photographs of these of the field full of these poles. You have no idea what it is when you first see it. and it's But it's this beautiful view of these, um, you know, sort of uh, pyramidal, you know, structures of, of, of growth. But of course, when you harvest the peanuts, you have to take the plant and the roots and everything, right? Yes. Well, it originally, when I was a little boy, uh, my, my job was my, and my brother, there was something called a sling cart. It was a deck that was pulled by a mule and it had four pendulums on it. And, you would wrap a chain around the pole, and then we weren't big enough to pull it down, and you bounce on it, and it pulled the shock up and hook it and carry it to the thrasher or the peanut picker mm-hmm. to be able to separate the peanuts. But that was a high time of year. Back during the turn of the century, there were two really high times of year for a small farm. One was peanut picking, and the other was a hog killing. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. Well, that was for the year. Um, you had referred to this uh, a picker, and you said you have an old one. And I, I'm assuming that you're referring to that 1933 stationary picker? I still have that one. Uh, well, what is it? Tell me how it how does that how does that function? So you have all these these plants kind of piled up and poked through this. Long, tall pole, okay, and the peanuts are all interwoven in there with the leaves and the vines and everything. 
So how does the picker go about that? Well, the process, that's why it's so important to shock it correctly. Because you layer it, it's a three, uh, my father told me, it's a three-layer process. You stack on one side a pile of vine with peanuts, stack on another side, stack on the third side, then you cap it on the top. That mm-hmm. creates that pyramid. Mm-hmm. And you, it is a compressed uh, process of just going round and round until you finish it. When you take it off, it separates in that same order. So that when the pitchfork goes in to lift up, that pile that you put on comes off and you can put it into the picker and the picker feeds it in and and, uh, separates the vines from the nuts. Well, that and those peanut harvesters or or the the harvester company, we we won't mention, but the peanut pickers, I mean, that has quite a history in itself. It does. When... You had, so you had all this, I mean, you know, weather dependent, but you say they're piled in such a way that obviously it's going to rain once in a while, or at least, right. you know, we hope it rains once in a while. We're still waiting for the rain to come, but <laughs> um, it's been a dry season up, up here. Um, it, so it, that the water just washes off. So it, it, the, and the peanuts are on the outside, so they don't, when they're not in there getting moldy and, and wet, huh? Now, the, that's the purpose of, of, trying to uh, stack them or shock them in that order so that you create that 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 pyramid. Uh, water will follow the least path of resistance. Mm-hmm. So it'll, it will trail on the vines to the outside of the shock, leaving the inside dry and intact. That way you don't have that mold, you don't have that uh, stain. Uh, some people might look at the peanut and they say, well, that, that's that got a stain on it. Well, if it, the water affected the outside, even though the kernel on the inside is still in pristine condition. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, how many acres of these peanuts are you, are you currently um, farming? I'm up to 11 acres now. This year, we'll, I'll be doing 11 acres. I think last year, we were close to about eight and a half, nine acres. So we increased a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a lot of work for um, for peanuts. <laughs> As they say, let's say for peanuts. But you have an interesting to- story to tell. I mean, your, your father or grandfather, um, uh, but your father in particular with you all you, would you have six, you have five siblings, you have six kids. Right. So he right. said, Managed to send you all to school, all to college on peanuts, right? Um, peanuts and and a few hogs. Well, and a few hogs, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, really, it. I, I admire my mother, and my father so much because they took what seemingly was nothing, and we were all able to go to college. One, two went to Hampton University, two went to Norfolk State. One went to Virginia State, and I went to National Auto Diesel College. Mm-hmm. And and that that's really impressive because with the competition, I mean, you know, you look at some of these farms in Georgia and some of the other areas, and you know, that's they have huge uh, a huge mechanical uh, operation going on there, and uh, it, but of course, it's not the gourmet process right. that you've got going on there. <laughs> that's hard to compete, but I can imagine that's hard to compete with. The, the thing, and I'm glad you brought up that point, uh, because in the in what I do, 
I don't compete with them because you don't do what I do because you think you're going to get rich. You do what I do because you have a passion and a love for what I do mm-hmm. because I, it is so labor intensive that I cannot produce hundreds of acres of these peanuts. Well, but the quality is uncompared. Well, uh, yeah. uh, enough so that Hubbard's decided to partner up with you and buy all your peanuts for their, uh, for their gourmet single origin product. No, wait, the single origin. Is this a peanut that you've grown on your farm for a long time? Which, what is the, or is it just that it's all from your farm? All from my farm. Uh-huh. Okay. And I have, um, uh, to add to that a little bit, I have experimented with some of the different types of Virginia peanuts in the area uh, to come up with the best that I, that I can. I don't know if I ought to say the name of what I use right now, but anyway, uh, I I have come up with a a brand, a type of peanut that is really good for the for this area. It grows well, and uh, consequent uh, surprisingly, that particular brand doesn't grow very well in Georgia. Hmm. Interesting. So you got a special thing going on there in, in Virginia. Yes, I, I was yeah. talking with uh, Birdsong, and they were telling me they don't grow that. This particular brand of peanut don't grow very well in the soil in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Well, on that note, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, I'll be talking with Marshall again and Elijah, and we're going to uh, continue our discussion on peanuts. So stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome back. I'm speaking with Marshall Rabel and Elijah Barnes about the Virginia Peanut and we were talking earlier about uh, trying to remember the man who invented the um, the peanut picker or, or harvester. And uh, Marshall, you think you came up with his name, right? Yeah, I think you were at, talking about Benjamin Hicks. Right, right. Okay, Benjamin Hicks. Right, because he went down in history as you know as in having invented that machine, and that's that's very important. Correct. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, we all know the name. Uh, you know. Uh, George Washington Carver and thinking, well, we, you know, attribute all the peanut history to him. However, the peanuts were being grown and harvested, you know, before, 
before he came around. He did so much to to really uh, bring the awareness of of the peanut and and uh, to to the American people, really. And uh, you know, according to that, and along that, he was a what was he a um, he was a scientist. He was a yes. I forget. Uh, but so much has been brought to um, to notice about the um, the quality of the peanuts and the um, nutritional value of peanuts. Uh, how much of that do you, um, Marshall? I'll ask you first. How much of that do you actually market and talk about on your peanuts? Every day. I mean, I think the nutritional value um, is a huge benefit, and it's one of the reasons why I call peanuts the world's most important superfood. Um, there's more protein in peanuts than any other nut. Um, they're filled with niacin, fiber, folate, arginine. So it's they're really a good um, snack for brain health, heart health. Um, just a, a high fiber content. So they actually promote weight loss as well. It's a, just a really great energy food. Um, and one of the things that is spectacular about peanuts compared to some other nuts as a plant-based protein is their water usage. So it takes about three gallons of water to grow an ounce of peanuts compared to closer to 30 gallons of water for an ounce of almonds. Oh, and yeah. so and, and, and peanuts are not grown in drought-stricken regions like almonds are. And so that's hugely beneficial. They're also a drought-resistant crop. Um, and so um, another piece that's really important is they take nitrogen out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. So that's what's called nitrogen fixing. And so they don't require the same amount of fertilizer. And around here, a lot of people like to plant peanuts because they're a great rotational crop, cover crop before mm -hmm. the cotton plant, for example. So when you mm -hmm. plant peanuts the following year, you do not need to add nitrogen back to the soil. So that's another environmental piece that's, that's hugely important. The other is that um, peanuts are grown on six or seven continents. So pretty much every region in the world has its own domestic supply. So they have a much lower carbon footprint than something like a cashew that are grown in the tropics then transported all over the world. So mm -hmm. for me, the sustainability piece from a um, for, for the individual's health, for your own health, but also the planet's health is why I think peanuts are really the world's most important uh, plant-based protein. Um, and they really have a, a rich history, and, and I think that um, we'll continue to see a lot of innovative ways uh, to use the peanut, the peanut oil, the peanut uh, hulls. Um, there's so much research being done right now, um, even for, for using it for, for rocket fuel and jet fuel and, and all of that. So there's there's a ton that's still yet to be uh, discovered about how important this this um, legume really is. Right. Um, uh, Elijah, you... Um you were talking about um, the peanuts. Uh, oh, oh, it was a piece that I was reading about you, and that is your um, uh, germination rate on the peanuts that you plant, and that you gave this phenomenal percentage of not, like ninety nine percent germination of peanuts for right. planted. Now, what do you attribute to that? By that too? Well, when heat drying, the heat drying kills part of the wheat germ or the germ that causes the peanut to grow. It, it, uh -huh. it does that, but uh, drying it, curing it the way that I do, you, the difference is about an 89, 87, 80, 80, 89% germination rate compared to 99 plus point something for shock cured 
uh, uh, germination. Back in the 50s and the 60s, only peanuts, the only peanuts that could be planted for seed had to be shocked. They were called certified seed, and the seed companies would come out to your farm and check your plot of peanuts that you planted specifically for seed. Huh. It That's was good. just that important. Yeah, yeah. But then now that uh, farmers are so awful large in the planting of the peanuts, uh, it they kind of bite the bullet and take the 89 because they're going to plant so so many that, you know, that, that, that 10% loss of putting it in the field really doesn't factor too much into, into the thought pattern. Yeah. Well, I was you know, looking at some of the Virginia peanut factoids and, and um, you know, kind of is an eye opener when you realize a 12 ounce jar of peanut butter is made up of about 540 peanuts. Well, maybe that doesn't seem like a lot in a huge, you know, when you look at a huge, you know, acreage of peanuts being grown. But, you know, you multiply that times how many jars of peanut butter did your family go through, you know, this this month yeah. alone? Uh, what type are there different types of peanuts that, um, let's say, give off more oil that are that are used for the oils and the peanuts? Obviously, there must be. And I just don't know. I'm not. I'm, yeah, so you mentioned, you've mentioned Georgia a couple times, and and the difference in uh, the main difference in Georgia and Virginia is they're growing the Georgia Runner, um, which is uh, has a higher oil content, and a lot of what's being grown in Georgia is pressed for oil or for butter, um, or or some candies um, with some with some large companies, and it, it is a there is a peanut with a higher a higher oil content, and like Elisha was talking about different varieties, um, they are continuing to look. Um, um, at the genetics to how to make a, a, even a higher oil um, peanut so you can use them for some different things as well. And that's that's because the soil in Georgia grows that variety very well. Um, but they're growing, you know, 750,000 acres compared to the, the 30,000 acres that we grow here in, in Virginia. Um, mm. But it's it's mostly for butter and oil. Um, mm. And, and that's, that's a big difference for sure. So the Virginia nuts are really... Um marketed more for the snacking nuts for you know eating nuts right yeah so the the end shell peanuts that you get at the baseball games all the way to, to cans of hubs basically that's the virginia type snacking peanut and and what's being grown in in, in georgia um and the, the southeast is more for the oil and butter mm-hmm. and can i add in one thing here yeah um I, i'm right presently uh, uh kind of happy about we have some first-time farmers, and I've got a meeting next week with them, and what they're wanting to do is to create a idea of small family plots of peanuts for people to actually begin to raise peanuts on very small family plots of land. Hmm. You will be surprised the volume of peanut weight, ton per acre, that you can get out of a very small piece of land. So it is, it is, it goes along with the, the importance of the peanut, uh, as it was in World War II, that the U.S. Uh, government actually dropped peanuts, bags of peanuts, to starving people during the war. Well, because, that's, yeah, that's certainly a, a testament to the nutritional value, right? Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm, Glad to be a part of this, this, you know, 
uh, opening up of people having an idea that I can go out and I can, I can do something that's not only going to be good for me, but I can sustain it. I can have some for, oh, my, my goodness, it's, I get a little excited when I start talking about peanuts. <laughs> well, the passion comes through. There's no doubt about that, and that's that's excellent. I'm glad that both of you brought up the um, the question of sustainability because, I mean, shocking is not a sustainable harvesting method so much. I mean, it takes that's a you know that's a lot of of manpower to to do that, um, yeah. but it produces you know a great product. So. What, as far as the sustainability of these gourmet peanuts, what what do you see um, in that way? I mean, in peanuts in general, I understand, you know, but this the shocking harvesting method. How do you think that's going to play out? I'm, I'm I'm really enthused because I have people now that are starting since they've uh, come. Same, some came over to the farm and helped me. And some are actually now shocking peanuts in their backyards. Huh. Terrific. I have two people that they come to the farm and they get peanuts, put it on a trailer, carry it home and shock them in their backyard so that they can have shock cured peanuts at home. I I told Marshall, I eat peanuts every day. Hmm. I go out to the trailer and I get me a double handful of peanuts and I eat them every day. Now, these are all the red skin nut peanuts, correct? Yes. Are all peanuts red skinned? Yes. yes. Okay. It's all, they're all red skinned. Okay. That's just something I, I wasn't sure about. And I said, I got to find that out. I know who to ask. All right. Um, and, and you said it takes six weeks for the peanuts to dry on the, on the poles. It's shocking. All right. Do you, right. How do you know for sure? Do you go out and you test them every now and then? No, it's... I guess over 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 the millennium of, of doing it, everyone knows that that period of time is what it basically takes. There are some that might jump it a week early or, or what have you, but six weeks. What they're what you're trying to get to is the moisture content to dry back. That's the perfect point of of, of curing, so that it is good for uh, keeping it all. It'll sit on. We've actually picked peanuts that we put on the shop in October. Bad weather, we couldn't get to them, and we picked peanuts in January after it had snowed on. Oh my! But the peanuts were still great because of that process of shocking, and all of the waters go to the outside, and the peanut is healthy on the inside. Oh, that's what I didn't ask you. From the time you plant them, and and when is is May your planting season? Yes. So you just finished that. You just finished that up, huh? Yes, finishing planting peanuts. And how long then, uh, what, what is the time to harvest um, from planting? I, I, you, you can start harvesting late September, first, second week in October. The uh-huh. main season for harvesting here in the county is the first two to three weeks of October. Oh, interesting. That's, yeah. that's it. Now, last year we were blessed. And we got a got an early start because we had a lot of hot weather, hot dry weather during the summer, which the peanuts kind of love that hot dry. Mm-hmm. And we were able to actually harvest a little early last year. So about the second to third week in September, uh, in twenty twenty two, uh, people were digging and harvesting peanuts. So this is this is Marshall. You've got to you've got to keep an eye on that because. 
that depends on how you're going to package them and get that, you know, that year's crops all set up, right? So we are typically working a year behind. So uh-huh. what is being planted right now and that'll be harvested in October, uh, we'll start cooking that in uh, the spring of, of 2024 after they've been shelled and graded. So there's a little bit of a time lapse between um, harvest and when we, when we get them. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of kind of like wine in that regard. Um, it takes a little bit of time before we get our hands on them to, to do our magic. So are all the peanuts that you, um, these small batch peanuts, um, they're all cooked the same way, whether they're, but some of them, you know, you have some, a new, a new type out with the chocolate covered ones. I don't know. Are they out yet or whatever? Yes. We also, we have chocolate covered in a number of varieties, but with the, with the single origin, um, because they still have the skin on them, we don't soak them in hot water or we would lose the skin. They would be, and and so we, we simply fry those and and package and can those. Now we, Elisha had those shelled this year, uh, late January, and we were able to, um, cook some of them in in February and March. And so, um, what I, I will send to you was the 2022 harvest. Interesting. Well, I guess you'd have to do that or else you, I mean, because you, you know, you're sitting around waiting with your machines ready to go to start, you know, sorting and packaging and cooking and, and, you know, it could be a month lag there before you get them all. I can see that would be a little difficult. And peanuts will last for a long time in cold storage. Um, we, we try to, we don't like them to sit in cold storage, but for so long, but they will last quite some time. When you say quite some time, give me a number. Like it's a, month? Uh, no, a couple of years. I mean, no, they would last a couple of years. Um, they, 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 they absolutely will. One of the best ways, if you want uh, uh, something uh, on in your own home, you can actually get peanuts, shell them, and put them in the freezer oh. and freeze them. Uh huh. And they'll come out once and roast them, and it's just like they just finished being cured. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. I mean, if anyone has opened a, you know, a, a bag of rancid peanuts, you'd say, oh, yeah. yeah, that's something you don't want to deal with. So for sure, that's a great idea. Uh, Marshall, you so you've got this, you know, the, this new single or rare, relatively new single origin peanut. Um, how are you? They're small, such a small batch. How are you marketing these? Well, just just like that, at, because they're such a small batch, there's a limited a re, limited release and a limited amount of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we first uh, did this, the third year that we've done it, um, we we went to the farm and, and we got a great video to, and had Elisha kind of tell his story. And we really wanted to just capture the story, but we've been able to use that video um, to promote this product. And the f- very first year, we actually when we released it. We sold out in 24 hours, and that's why he's, we planted a few more acres in subsequent years. Um, obviously, that's gonna we're, we're not we're gonna we're gonna max out on, on the amount of acres that that Elisha and and some volunteers can manage. But um, it's the the story really. Um, sells itself because it's a very high quality product and Elisha tells his story so well and people really I think get a, love the nostalgic feel of of what um, he's doing to preserve history and culture and so it, it, it has been um, really selling itself but you know opportunities like this are also a, a great for us to be able to 
to tell that story and to market that product, if you if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's just, I mean, do you know, is that PBS documentary still available? Do you know online or if I, so I give it out to my listeners and they can have a chance yeah. to look at it? Yeah, it's the Virginia peanut story. Um, okay. I, I'm pretty right. sure that. We I know can... I have it. I have the video, um, but I, right. yeah. And uh, I, I do believe that you can um, still access it Okay. Um, because I've had some people that have looked at it recently mm-hmm. and right. commented on how, how well it was done. Mm-hmm. But I encourage anyone that would like to come out during that fall season to come out and spend some time out there, you know, get a firsthand look at it. Uh, I also have uh, not only the old 33 Liverman, but I have a Benthol, old stationary Benthol picker. So this year we'll have that. And I would just like people to come out and just, you know. Yeah. And if you can't make it to Elisha's farm, I mentioned the video that we did, but on our our products page, on the Single Origin page, there is a video link. It's about seven minutes long of Elisha telling his story and showing the farm off. And I think that's a really good in-depth education on shocking peanuts, the history of, of, of peanut production. Um, and it's it's a seven minutes of your time. And that's, that's r- right there on our website um, yeah. on hubspeanuts.com hubspeanuts.com. Okay. Yes. All right. I, I think, I thank you both. This has just been, well, it's been an education for me and you might have a visitor number one, right? Number one, right here. Okay. We'd love to have you. We'd yeah. love to have you to come I, It would be a fun, that would be a fun trip to take. Um, and it's not really all that far from New York city. I mean, you know, so I'll, just six hours. Drive. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Take a nice drive. All right. Uh, well, thank you both, and I know you, you'll have a lot of work to do to take care of these peanuts. Um, and I, I just um, hope people will take the opportunity to try to see one of those videos because it is just—it's so much a part of our history, American history. Yes, it ties in slavery; it's part of slavery, and, and what? But look at the and and the well and and you know the wartime effort look at the th- good things that it has all brought about and uh, and we can thank a lot of our ancestors and your and and if for keeping this going and just it's a it's a wonderful thing so history and there, yeah, there's a real history. deep history on peanuts that we we can get into in another episode about all of the all of the um aspects to it i mean it wasn't even a food for for people in the 1600s it was pig feed and and it's gone from pigs to, to presidents and it's uh it's really a fascinating um life of of the peanut and and how it fueled soldiers in the confederacy and you know it's it's a it's a there's a long story there but we'll get into that on another another day it is a long story and i'm sure and I, you know you and it's something you don't want to overlook, but, you know, today we want to look at, at you know, what a wonderful product it can be and, and the love and the care that um, that you and, and that you, Marshall, and certainly you, Elijah, out in the fields, um, just putting all your energies and, and your and your life into this product. And I'm going to think about that every time I eat a peanut. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a man. I'm serious. Okay. <laughs> All right. No well, thank you. <laughs> thank you both for joining me. And, um, and I hope that everyone will take a chance to, again, see that uh, one of the videos. And I hope that you've enjoyed this taste of the past.
Thank you so much, Linda. Thank you. Okay. And thank you to everyone who's helped make this possible and to my engineer, Liam, and to Heritage Radio Network, the network all about food and, and hospitality. Thanks for joining me. A Taste of the Past is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe 